Baptist Church Choir. Let's give God some praise for being here. To join me this morning in the book of Song of Solomon, chapter 1. Song of Solomon, chapter 1. And I want to read verses 12 through 17. Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. Hear ye the word of the Lord, Song of Solomon, chapter 1, beginning at verse 12. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. The king is lying on his couch, enchanted by the fragrance of my perfume. My lover is like a sachet of myrrh lying between my breast. He is like a bouquet of sweet henna blossoms from the vineyards of Engedi. How beautiful you are, my darling, how beautiful your eyes are like doves. You are so handsome, my love, pleasing beyond words. The soft grass is our bed. Fragrant cedar branches are the beams of our house. And pleasant smelling fears are the rafters. Amen. You may be seated. I probably should have given you a heads up that the text this morning houses perhaps rated X explicit material um, and it may be a little bit for some of you uh, just take a deep breath and uh, reminisce in your mind the glory of what the text is amen the power of praising our partner that's what I want to talk about from the context of verses 12 through 17, the power of praising our partner. Whether the noblest or the humblest of a person, most everyone enjoys the expression of a compliment periodically. Some need more than others, but there is power in providing a compliment to another individual. We may further concur with the opinion of Mark Twain, I can live for two months on a good compliment. Perhaps that's true, some need or some can go longer and some may last less, but the expression confirms that words, when expressed unto us, are very powerful weapons. They hold the power to either bless or curse us, build us up or tear us down. Praising our partner, praising our spouse, praising our children, praising our friends with words of encouragement and respect will strengthen our love and nurture our relationship as we grow together, particularly when we talk about a relationship and in particularly, again, 
marriage. Language is extremely important. When it comes to marriage and a relationship, blessing the other with genuine compliments. Not compliments to merely appease, but genuine compliments is crucial because we have been created in such a way that our emotional and physical needs can only be met by A, affirmation. Someone saying words or listening to words that affirm, hopefully, what we already believe about ourselves. B, acceptance as intrinsic worth. In other words, there has to be that worth of belief in me that I know that I am that I am regardless of what is being said about or to me, I still have an incredible amount of intrinsic worth. However, words that affirm helps me accept the intrinsic worth of who I am. See, encouragement. All of us like to be encouraged, and that encouragement is not just words written on a piece of paper, but we want to hear them so that we can witness the infliction of the voice, the tone, and perhaps measure the worth as they come through the volume of the tone to let us know how encouraging those words are intended to be. And then fourth, unconditional love. Unconditional love. We need that. We need someone to accept us just the way that we are. We need someone to believe in us even with our flaws. We need someone to trust and to believe and encourage and affirm us even with our failures. We need those kinds of words because they not only affirm and encourage, but we need to hear the expression of unconditional loving from one individual to another. Can you imagine your mind if we only love people who met a certain criteria and if they never lived up to that criteria, we may very easily have no one to really love. But instead, we are admired when we understand how to love people unconditionally, with all their faults, with all their failures, even with all their least expectation, and with their less direction of growing their life, they still need us to love them through the winds of adversity and the dark moments of their own life. We need the blessing of the other, particularly when we talk about being involved relationally again or in a marriage. Gary Chapman, in his text, The Five Love Languages, provides what I consider to be a very worthy schematic of how we can explore particularly couples, to discover the how and what of meeting the emotional and the physical needs of each other. It's a must read. In fact, I encourage in premarital counseling, couples who are engaged to start reading the text 
to really get a feel of how to experience and identify the emotional and the physical as well as the mental needs of each other. But it would be worthy for all couples to take a moment to go through this text because I believe it'll bless you in tremendous ways. The Baysmores have been kind enough in their own efforts through family ministry or providing opportunities to study this text. And it gives us five particular areas that may be of grave importance to us if we take the time to understand what does it mean in reference to praising our partner. One, words of affirmation. And that simply means specific compliments that affirm an individual, that praises the individual. Now remember I told you at the beginning of this series, I'm not, I'm not trying to give you the spiritual nature of this text because you probably already know that. I want you to understand the practicality. So when I talk about praising another person, I understand Jesus is the only one whom you praise. I got you. But I would beg to differ just a bit. You need to praise God because of the spirituality of his creation of you but you need to hear a praise from somebody else and you need to give some praise to another person to affirm who they are as individuals in your life. So all of us, I would contend, we're not talking about Jesus, we're talking about listening to one another. All of us, I would contend, need to hear words of affirmation and specific, we don't want generality, we want to recognize what you are affirming in us so that we can feel more important to the particularity of what you see in us. The second thing he identifies is quality time. He argues that you really need to set time where you give another person uninterrupted attention. Minus the cell phone. Minus the laptop, minus the computer, minus the television, minus the children, minus all levels of interruption. People, particularly when you're talking about being relational, want time that is uninterrupted. Face to face. Where all you hear is his or her voice communicating with you. He talks about number three, receiving gifts. Receiving gifts arguably highlights not on Mother's Day, not on Father's Day, not on the birthday, not even on the anniversary date, but receiving gifts just because. Just because I thought about you and I saw this particular something and it reminded me of you and I thought you would look wonderful in it. The giving, I was right at home today and I said when's the last time he or she has went out and bought themselves something special? Here, just go enjoy yourself. Or I thought about when's the last time you've had a moment where you've just been alone or just enjoyed yourself and pampered yourself here. Here's a spa day just for you. Giving gifts, receiving gifts without being reminded, without being asked, without being told, 
without having it writ on the calendar. Don't forget. But giving without any of those dates just because of who you are. Receiving gifts. The fourth thing he talks about is acts of service. He talks about acts of service because he highlights for me the encouragement of uh, if she is always cooking dinner, let's switch the role. When she comes home, you already have dinner made. Or, here's a good one. This is really going to get you. He's already cut the grass. When he come home, how about you've cut the grass? No, that ain't going to work. I knew that, I knew that wasn't going to work. I just thought I'd throw it out there just... Yeah, I, I want the brothers to know I got a little balance going on here, you know. Some brothers said, no, don't cut, just water it. Just, 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 don't, don't cut, baby, don't cut. Because there'd be zigzags everywhere. And, and then I got to go back and do it all over again. And it would just been better off if you just left it alone. No, no, but acts of service, doing something for the individual out of the ordinary. Not the mundane of routine, but just out of the ordinary. I will take the kids for the day. I will do the grocery shopping for the day. I, I got that yesterday morning was the craziest thing. I thought it was hilarious. I stood for about three minutes laughing at myself. So I decided to go to the grocery store super early. Uh, must have been about 6 o'clock, and we have one grocery store in Woodbridge that stays open 24 hours, so I thought I'd roll up in there and do what I want to do and come on back out. And when I got up in there, I specifically noticed wasn't anything in the store at 6 o'clock in the morning but men. <laughs> and I said to myself, this must be the man hour <laughs> to do the honey-do list in reference to the grocery list. And I just sit there and laugh. I said, I ain't mad at y'all, brother, because I'm in here as well. Let's go on and do it. And nothing but men in the store. And I thought it was hilarious. And you should have saw them. Had their little iPhones out going through the list. One brother had his little list going through it. I said to myself, look at us up in this joint at 6 o'clock in the morning. But that's an act of service sometimes that has to be done. It's rewarding. It's rewarding because it lets another person know that you are not only appreciating who they are, but praising them to let them know they need space. And then he finally talks about physical touch. Physical touch. Hugs, kisses, caressing, hand-holding, feet rubbing. Just being close. I mean, I, that might be old school. I'm, I'm a little old school. I, 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 I think a woman loves when you sit there and wash her feet and caress her feet and lotion down her feet. I, 
Again, I'm old school. I mean, I understand that probably these young, new young ladies, I mean, the younger ladies, just don't, that, ain't, that ain't for me. But old school, I think that's something a woman loves. In fact, I think it's quite sensual and invigorating. And I, you, know, yeah, you don't know what else it might be. <laughs> I'm going to leave it right there, Bishop. I'm going to leave it right there. But that's what Chapman says we need to keep in mind as he connects to Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs. All of them are a part of the expectation and the needs that we have as human beings. And when I look at this text, verses 12 through 17, I can see and detect all five of the love languages in this text. The king himself is sensitive to the needs of the woman that he loves and sensitivity men is something that we have to work at and it means that you have to invest in learning every angle of the individual that you love. It means understanding all of the ins and outs and the ups and downs and the quirks and what she does and does not like and what drives and what detaches or what defiles and yet what encourages. It's learning every dimension of the other individual. And the king in this text, Solomon, some argue, does this for this Shunammite woman. He's not only sensitive to her needs, but he ends up verbalizing his love and demonstrates the special place that she has in his heart. She occupies a space that no one else can occupy. I want to highlight, verbalize his love for the woman. Verbalize verbalize that means brothers you actually have to tell her that I love you not girl you know I love you that's why, how, why do you think I've been here this long no not that but verbalizing how much I love you how beautiful you are how my life would be so much different had you not become a part of verbalizing it's not only an affirming of who she is in the context of your life, but it also fuels her desire to be more than you could ever imagine. And the roles are reversed and they're switched, because I told you before, I'll tell you again, whenever you tell a woman that, she will always in return reciprocate. Always reciprocate. So he verbalizes. So lets her know where he is or where she is in his heart. And he sees to it that all that she needed is provided for and that she's made to feel at home special in his heart. And then by doing that, it's returned. And why such behavior? Because he knew that this lady that he loved was insecure about her appearance and her absence of not being before him. Remember back in verses 5 through 8, it's clear there that she's concerned about how she looks. So she needed him to bless and to praise her, to affirm her, and to tell her that she was the best in his eyesight. 
And that's what he does. So here's a couple things I want you to remember. Number one, that Solomon is specific in his praise. Look at verse 9 through 10. There it is. There's the words of affirmation. You are as exciting, my darling, as a mare among Pharaoh's stallion. Remember, I told you this was poem. This is poetic material. And so the writer is going to use an overwhelming amount of metaphors and analogies. And he knows that the stallions that pull the chariots of Pharaoh, the top of the line, the well-breeded, the most beautiful, will lead the chariot outside of all others. And he says to her, that's what you look like. I want to compare you to its beauty. You're not an animal but you carry the austere and the beauty of what that animal does. And you do that in my eyesight. Remember I told you, she's suffering from insecurity and she is suffering also from his absence. And so she needs to hear, here it is, words of affirmation. What does he tell her in verse 9? You are exciting, my darling, and you're beautiful. Specifically, you are beautiful. And he tells her that. He tells her that she's special. Look at his language. My darling. Some translations, my love. Which might highlight it's all right to give your boo a nickname. Because that represents what that person means to you. And whenever you call that name or you think about that name, there is something that should wail up by way of excitement and joy, by way of appreciation and anticipation, because that special someone enjoys the affirming, affirming words that you have to say. Eight other times throughout the book, Solomon lets this woman know by calling her my darling and my love you are special he tells her not only that she's special remember how important this is because in verse 6 her brothers had nothing special to say about her in fact they had nothing but negativity to express and expound unto her but she hears these encouraging words from someone that she loves deeply. He gives specific special words and he tells her in verse 10 how beautiful she is beyond the mare. See verse 10, how lovely are your cheeks, your earrings set them afire. How lovely is your neck enhanced by a string of jewels or some translations say by a string of pearls he's telling her that you look good in the natural but when you accentuate yourself with all of the extras you just go way out somewhere so in other words he's trying to tell us when she's putting on her makeup tell her how good she looks Tell her how beautiful her rouge is and how wonderful her eyelashes are and her eyeliner. And tell her how enjoying that lipstick, inviting that lipstick is. 
Tell her how well that dress looks on her. And tell her, baby, I noticed the day you're wearing slingbacks and not pumps. Notice the particulars of what's going on when it's an evening occasion where she's wearing an evening gown. Girl, you look so good in that strapless gown. There it is right there in the text. It's right there in the text. He's trying to help us understand the importance of words of affirmation. And tell him how good he looks in that tuxedo and how good he looks in that suit and tie and how good he looks in those jeans and how he is fitting those jeans and how his body is so crafted, even if it's not. <laughs> tell him anyway. Even if it's 30 years later and that means it's 50 pounds more, tell him anyway. And so he admonishes us to admire and to help advance the other by way of identifying specifically, specially, and how beautiful they are. Solomon is specific in this praise, but watch this. Number two, Solomon is sacrificial in his praise. Look at verse 11. He says to her in verse 11, because you are so beautiful, we will make for you earrings of gold and beads of silver. Or some translation says studs of silver. That verse is interesting because what you need to highlight is the phrase, we will. Just think about that for a moment. We will. Note he said, we will make, again, he's specific, we will make earrings of gold and beads of silver. And again, he's sincere. He is, here it is, second love language, helping her understand the importance of receiving gifts. So he said, we, could it be that he knows that he doesn't have the skill of trying to put together particulars in terms of jewelry that his lady would like so he consults someone who has a good eye. He consults a family member or he consults someone on his staff who has expertise in how to groom oneself. Whatever it is, he says, I'm willing to sacrificially find out what do I have to do to find out what makes you look as what makes you look gorgeous and beautiful and even well more than what you are now. He says, I'll go to whatever links. Go, I'll have something custom made just specifically for you. <laughs> I hear some brothers say, wait a minute, Reb, don't go that far now because that could be quite an expensive adventure. You, it would be quite an invigorating adventure if you had a 18-karat gold necklace made specifically for your lady with her name engraved on the middle. It's amazing how we think those kind of things are far away and, and, and shouldn't be adored, and yet we'll go out and spend $50,000 on a car. And we've got to do constant repair to keep it up. There it is in the text. He's sacrificial in giving her the, 
the love language. But watch this. It's also an act of service. He, he is demonstrating to her the old adage we've heard, action speaks louder than words. Amen. He's making that clear. He's trying to get us to understand that there are times when if you really love a person, it will require some sacrificial work. And it does. But then watch this, number three. Uh, Solomon is not only specific in his praise, but, but look also when I told you about that in his praise, look also at verse 15. He told her how beautiful she was, my darling, and how her eyes were like doves. See that poetic language? How they were like doves, twerking. Well, oh, well, let me take that word back. Um, <laughs> for all y'all who don't know what twerking is, don't worry about it. It's not something you need to that messed me up I can't even think of what train of thought I got now anyway the, the, the dove is, is yeah twinkling that's it thank you Woo. Woo, may not come when you want him but he's always on time Twinkling, that's it. Thank you so much, lady. See, it took the ladies to know exactly what I was talking about. Twinkling, uh, the dove is a twinkle in the eye. It's, it's a beautiful creature. I know the brothers did. Mm. But he says when he looks at her, that's what he thinks of. The beauty of the dove and the quietness and yet the stillness and the beauty of when the dove sits and perks creates a twinkle in his eye. But then he talked about the sacrificial in his praise for her. But then in verse 12 through 14, he talks about the sensuality in his praise. I, I know it's going to get rough now, but hang, put your seatbelt on. Here, here, here's another love language that Solomon talks about the need of physical touch, but it's dialogical. It's he saying to her and her saying back to him. Because when you read verses 12 through 14, it is he, or it is her rather, commenting uh, on him in a very sensual posture. Listen to what she says. My king, or the king, is lying on his couch, enchanted by the fragrance of my perfume. You, you got to understand, she's now moved to respond to all of the loving overtures that Solomon has given. Her insecurities are gone. Her anxieties have been put to rest by his words of action of love. And she now returns what she has been given all of the long. And notice in the next several verses, they simply compete back and forth in terms of showing each other different love languages. 
and she and they will express this strong desire personally, physically, and sensually, but yet they are particular and passionate. Listen to what she says. He's lying on the couch, mesmerized, stunned, paralyzed by the fragrance of my perfume. That says to me that she understands her own body chemistry and knows that she needs the right perfume to cooperate with her body chemistry so that when it comes out, it comes out in a space where it permeates everywhere that she goes. And she is to a point where when she walks by him, that odor just drops him to his knees. That's the same thing I said when I read that crippled him she knows that here is something there is now a desire made by love she employed the sensuality of smell uh, no one wants to be around an odor that is repute and and it, it raises the question of understanding, again, your own body chemistry when you talk about cologne or perfume, if you're a man as well as a woman, uh, what works with your body chemistry and understanding what fragrances gives off the best in terms of odor, in terms of staying with you. And even worse, how much to put on. And I, and I only say worse because some people put on too much. And although it smells great, it's overpowering. And what she's suggesting is that my perfume is, is so powerful and yet I put it on right that it doesn't overpower him, yet it causes him to feel like he's under a spell. Interesting that the word fragrance here and the word perfume comes from a Hebrew word that suggests that she has uh, pulled away from an expensive plant that even now still grows in the Himalayas outside of India, uh, a fragrance that can become, even now in India, a love potion. Can you imagine that? A love potion. A little bit of this and bang, you got it. A love potion that in returns, when she applies it, it appeals to his self-worth and his sense of smell. I think every man, well, most men enjoy a wonderful smelling woman. And most women enjoy a good smelling man. It does something to the nostrils, but to the emotions and to the sensuality. It's good sensual stuff gets the juices flowing. That may, that may be a little heavy for some of y'all. But also there's a desire that is made known by loyalty. Look at verse 13. Verse 12 says uh, that he's enhanced and or should I say he is uh, enchanted by the fragrance but verse 13 says my lover is like a statue of myrrh lying between my breast now watch this because this myrrh or should I better say this lover 
is to her this statue of myrrh. Now this myrrh is a gum kind of residue that's gathered from a certain species of trees in southern Arabia. And yet when they extract it, they reduce it to a liquid sometimes that it might be carried in small bottles, probably i.e. for the sake of commerce that it might be sold. But it's also reduced to a solid form that it might be put perhaps in some form of a cloth or even in a pouch and worn next to the woman's body so that whenever that fragrance comes in contact with her body chemistry, it permeates the odor. And by flowing it out, it, it's really the same thing as it is now, it's just that now, instead of it being in that solid form, it's in the liquid form with a spray mechanism for us. But it's the same then, they did the same, except they wore it around their neck. And as it began to constantly let off, the form would get smaller and smaller and smaller. Same as now, the more you use, the more the content becomes less and less and less. But this was expensive stuff. This is why I tell, listen, if you're going to try to woo girl, don't buy no cheap stuff. Get you some good stuff. Old Spice is out, bro. That's brute. That's that's granddaddy's stuff. That's that's gone, man. I personally just like to walk through the store. I like to visit several stores just to smell various perfumes and to smell various colognes because I like to wear cologne but I also like to smell because I like to kind of figure out in my mind is this fitting for Miss Murphy or not? And I know how her body is in terms of chemistry so I sit there and go through and you know how you have to generally use coffee, they got coffee beans up there to sort of help, you know, once you sniff a lot of that stuff it's sort of everything starts smelling the same. Don't for me. Because I love the different fragrances and I like to try to measure and, and I don't want anything cheap. In fact, I've told a guy, is this the best that you got? And I've spent as high as $400 for some perfume. Why? Because it smelled that great. When I spray it on my boo, I want to make sure I get my $400. And that's what she did. That's, That's what verse 13 says. My lover... When she smells him, it's like a satchel of myrrh lying between my breasts. Now, what she's really saying is that she's comparing Solomon to an exquisite fragrance that's lying close to her heart. Close to her heart to the point where he is nestling by way of analogy between her breasts. She's saying, I love him so much and his love is so great and his love is so longing and so loyal that it cannot be broken. It's close internally on the inside of me so I can smell him even when he's not there. And that's deep. I said, that's deep. You can smell him when he's not there. Look what she said in verse 14. He is like the blossom of sweet henna blossoms from the vineyards of the Engedi. Another 
exquisite tree that grows to be about 10 feet tall that has these large cluster of yellow and white roses on them that gives off an incredible fragrance. She's saying that's what he smells like to me. So in other words, she is trying to tell us and he is trying to tell us how critical it is that we praise one another. And if you would notice repeatedly, you're going to find it out throughout the text, there's a constant use of what smells, the nature, using the nature to bring about the compassion for each other. She keeps talking about how things smell. But then in verse 14, she highlights something else. She highlights the desire to be made known by how longing she wants to be with him. Love language, quality time. She wanted to see him and to spend quality time with him. She is now to a point where she is comparing him to these 10 or these 10 feet trees in the Engedi in the oasis of the western shore of the Dead Sea and talk about how beautiful and how great they smell. And yet she says, I've never met a man like you. You've only been what I've longed for and finally after meeting you, I now know dreams do come true. The fifth love language, this physical touch, when I looked at the text, I had to close it and then I begin to read where the man responds by telling her in verse 15, you're beautiful, my dear, like doves. And the woman comes back again in verse 16 and says, you are so handsome, my love, pleasing beyond words. And the soft grass is our bed. Fragrant cedar branches are the beams of our house. And pleasant smelling fears are the raft. Could it be that she does not physically see him at the moment, but she is lying in the grass with her eyes closed or somewhere in proximity of the palace, looking up and thinking about who he is and all of these aesthetics remind her of the man that she's in love with. Uh, I'm a product of the 70s. We used to use strange colloquial language to describe women. It wasn't the greatest thing, but it was quite interesting. Uh, you remember back in the day, we used to say she's a brick house. And that was a suggestion that she was well put together, had everything all hooked up. But then I drifted away that. I drifted, drifted away from that. And I got to thinking about, Bishop, I got to thinking about uh, the early 70s, particularly all through the 70s and the early 80s. But Tom Bell, Tom Bell was a great music producer, gave us great groups like the Delphonics. But in the 70s, he gave us a group of five brothers from Philadelphia, and they called themselves the Stylistics. And you know, they gave us some of them great, wonderful hits, Betcha by Golly Why, and You Are My Everything, and Everything Is You, and I'm So Stone In Love With You, and Break Up To Make Up, That's All We Do, First You Love Me, Then You Hate Me, It's A Game, you know, we go through that kind of thing. People make the world go round, some of y'all remember that one? But, but, but this is the one I thought about when I read this text, you make me feel brand new. Oh, 
You remember uh, that brother used to step forth that Foncello voice? And he sang that line, God bless you, you make me feel brand new. I sing this song because you make me feel brand new. That's what she says about Solomon. He made her feel brand new. Because when he began to give her words of affirmation and show her a kindness, acts of kindness, and begin to give her gifts, when he began to uh, give and spend quality time and physical touch, she was a brand new woman, all because of what he did. I sing this song for you. Make me feel brand new. Say words to praise the other one. We, not, we know Jesus is the center of your joy. We got you. But that girl, that boy, that lady, that man want to hear you say, you're beautiful, I love you. Thank you for being who you are. Thank you for spending the time of your life in my life. And I always say, if you've got a hard time trying to figure that out, brother, just think about what she has endured to be with you. What she has put up with to hang out with you. I didn't think I'd get many amens in that point right there, but I kind of know exactly where, where we fit. I think about that all the time. All the stuff. Think about all the stuff she put up with and still loved you. Remember when I talk about we need to hear that? We need somebody to love us unconditionally. There it is. And every now and then, well, I'd say more than every now and then. I'd probably say at least six times a week. That means every day. I give you a day to recuperate. You need to tell them how much you love them. It's that critical. It's that important. It's important because if 50% of Christian people who get married already end up in divorce we going wrong somewhere we got some problems somewhere in fact our numbers now even trump those who are non-christian now wait a minute now we're supposed to be the ones who have the answer to this thing and yet we're the ones who are suffering the most lord thank you for solomon but most importantly thank you for this analogy that shows us how you so loved us with unconditional love. Thank you for this analogy, Lord, that gave us the understanding in the words of Paul of how Jesus decided to become the sweet-smelling sacrifice that was pleasing to your nostrils and how the aroma of Christ was glorifying to you. Thank you, Lord, for Mary who anointed Jesus' feet with a very fragrance and yet to you God it filled that house with an incredible aroma thank you for Jesus who became all that we need that we might only not experience your unconditional love but your words of affirmation and thank you also for the acts of kindness that you grant unto us every single day 
and for the physical touch and the quality time that you give us. Now, God, if there's somebody here who hasn't seen the person of Christ in the reality of this text, I pray today that they hear the words of John 3.16, that you love them so much that you gave all you had to give. So may they embrace that glorious gift that can make their life brand new through Jesus Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. As we stand to our feet all over the building, we extend the invitation to discipleship. In case there's somebody here and Lord Jesus Christ is not the center of your heart.